this is our daily power parsha. I, w- I was gonna, about to say the daily power parsha of the day, but that's highly redundant and unnecessary because, um, of course, daily power parsha means that we're studying the, t- the teachings of the Torah that pertain to today and drawing. The goal is to draw some life lessons and messages that we can then walk away with uh, in, in a way that's inspired. So the Torah portion this week is Naso, but I need to give you a caveat. And that is that although the portion is Naso, we're not going to read it this Shabbat in synagogue. Why not? Because we have the holiday of Shavuot, and the holiday is going to be Friday and Saturday. So we're not going to actually read in synagogue this Torah portion. We're going to read the special reading for Shavuot, which talks about the giving of the Torah at Sinai. So we're going to read that on Shabbat. And then next week, next Shabbat, we'll read the Torah portion of Nusso. Nonetheless, we're going to jump into the themes of this week because, you know, it's still, it's still connected with the energy of, of this week and, and energy of today. So we are going to study the, uh, the weekly Torah portion, even though we're not exactly going to read it um, on Saturday. So let's, let's jump right in. I'm going to share my screen with you. And let's get that rocking and rolling. Nusso, share. Take a look. Torah reading. Okay. If you recall last week, we spoke about the census of the Levites. How we're counting the Levites, we count them separately. The Jewish people were counted. And then the Levites were counted in their own count. And this reading picks up on that theme and continues to explore the census of the Levites. So you see that right in the beginning, that God speaks to Moses and he says, take a census of the sons of Gershon. Oh, the family of Kahas or Kahat, they were already counted at the end of last week's Torah portion. So God says, you should also count, take two, you should also count Gershon, the, the other Levite family. And again, count them from 30 years to 50. Remember, there were two counts. One count was from one month and up. Um, That's the kind of like the educational count. But then you have 30 to 50 is kind of the vocational count when they would actually transport and carry the Mishkan, the items from the tabernacle. So counting the family of Gershon is happening here. And yeah, and then the Torah talks about what they did. What did they do? They carried... The curtains, the coverings, the tachash skin, which we spoke about, which is the, um, that miraculous animal skin, the rainbow unicorn, according to some. So they carry the tapestries, the curtains, the coverings. Those, th- that was their job. And that's the first reading. Today, of course, is Monday. So it's the second reading, really, which is really uh, associated with today. And so we have the count of Merari. So again, going back to the first reading, we have... Gershon, right? Just keep in mind the different families. Gershon is in the first reading. In the second reading, we have Merari. And the third family, Kahat, was last week's, at the end, the last thing of last week's Torah portion. And these are the three Levi families. So the Torah says, again, count the, count the, uh, the Merari family, uh, again, 30 to 50. And then it talks about what was their burden. What, what, did, what was their task? Um, they carried and transported the planks of the Mishkan, the bars, the pillars, the sockets, um, the pillars of the surrounding courtyard, their sockets, their pegs, their ropes, and all the implements. Okay, so they basically transported 
I think I mentioned this last week also, they transported the, I don't know, the structure, the structure, if you will, of the Mishkan. What's amazing though, and I want to jump into this right away, what's amazing is that Kabbalah explains deeper insights into the three Levite families and the message for us building our own tabernacle. Because this, of course, is the ancient discussion about the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the home for God. But what does it mean for us in 2020? How do we build our own space for God? So the first thing is think about a house. Think about, I'll give you an example. Let's say you buy a, you buy a house, but it needs a lot of work. You buy a house and it's a bit dilapidated, it's broken down, it's run down, and it hasn't been maintained. It's a real fixer-upper, right? So you buy this house. Unmute yourself if you can tell me what's the first thing you're doing. You, you, now you own the house. It's filled with all sorts of stuff. What's the first thing you're going to do? Rabbi? Yeah. Is it put up a mezuzah? Yes, put up a mezuzah. Yes, excellent. But what? But with regard to the house, to the renovation, what's the first thing you're going to do? Clean. Say it again? Clean? Clean, yeah. Or more precisely, I would say, clean out. Take out all the stuff that doesn't need to be there. All the old stuff, all the broken down stuff, all the stuff that that doesn't fit the aesthetic or whatever it is, you're going to take out all the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Now, once all that stuff is cleared out, what are you going to do? You're going to, more than likely, start bringing in the stuff that you like. So you're going to clear out the stuff that you don't like and then bring in the stuff that you do like. Give you a simple, a simple, uh, simple example or I'll ask you a simple question. Are you going to bring a brand new couch a brand new table, a brand new bedroom set in this new house before you clean it up? Are you going to bring in like nice new furniture before you clean it up? What's the answer? No, of course not. First, you're going to do, first thing you're going to do is you're going to clean it up and clean it out. Get rid of the old stuff. Get rid of the dirty stuff. Get rid of the, the stuff that you don't want. And then you're going to bring in the new stuff. This is analogous to the family of Gershon, and the family of Kahat, which I want to speak about right now. Again, I'm giving you a bit of a mystical take as to the, uh, the, the role of these families and the role that they play in our, in our lives, which we'll see in a moment. Gershon is related to the word Gerushin. The family of Gershon is related to the word Gerushin, which in Hebrew means divorce. Divorce, which is the idea of moving out or distancing, right? I mean, not social distancing, right? But it's like, it's distancing. It's, it's moving out. It's getting, you know, I don't want to speak harshly, but it's, you know, it's, it's getting rid of, if you will. It's moving out. So the idea of Gershon is the first step of our divine service. Step number one is Gershon. We have to move away all of the stuff inside of ourselves that's not holy. The stuff, the negative influences, you know, the negative uh, behaviors, the negative stuff, the stuff that we don't need to be involved in, all that stuff. Step one, Gershon. Move it out. Take it, pack its bags, move it out. Now, by the way, I, I don't mean to make it sound easier than it is. Obviously, you know, 
moving out bad habits is a lifetime of work, right? But that is a fundamental step, a first step in kind of growing spiritually is moving out negative behavior. It's going to be very hard to grow spiritually if we're still connected with spiritually negative behaviors. Now, we should never let you know, a, a, a behavior or negative behavior get in the way of growth. That's true. But at the same time, you know, at the same time, the reality is that it's, it's hard to clean up if we're not cleaning up. That's the way it is. It's hard to really change if we're still, you know, keeping to the same habits that we had. To give you an example, there's a line in Jewish thought that says, Tovel v'sheretz biyadai. You know what that means? You know what tovel means? Tovel means to dip in the mikvah. To dip in the mikvah. So imagine someone's impure because they came in contact with uh, something that's impure. Let's say a dead animal. A de- let's say a dead weasel, right? A sheretz, a dead rat. It renders one impure. Back in the day, it was more significant because you had a temple and you had to go to the mikvah to get ritually imp- uh, purified. But you come in contact with a dead animal, let's say a dead weasel or rat or something, so you become impure, so you have to go to the mikvah. So imagine if you go to the mikvah still holding on to the, to the, to the rat. Imagine. Yeah, you're not letting go. You're still... Ray, I don't mean literally, but I mean... If, but No, but imagine literally. Imagine, imagine you are immersing in the mikvah, still holding on to the object of impurity. Obviously, your mikvah is not going to work because you're still holding on to the very thing that's making you impure. So if we still are continuing, you know, the things that we need to be not continuing, it's very hard to really grow spiritually as long as we're still holding on to that behavior, the prior behavior. So the first step is gershon. Write a document of divorce and hand it over to your bad habits and say, from now on, that's it. You're on your own. You have to find a new place. It's like they tell a story about Moshe, who was, a, he was an innkeeper, a kretschmer. He was operating an inn back in the old country, back in Russia. And this place, oh, it was hopping. It was hopping. It was like the bar that everyone hit, all the Russians. You know, it's cold in Russia. You got to drink. You got to stay warm somehow. They didn't have central heating, right? They didn't have uh, furnaces. Or maybe they did. I don't know what they had. But uh, there was a lot of imbibing that also went on. So he catered. He had an inn, a bed and breakfast. But a big part of his business was the tavern part, the bar part. And he provided beverages. Well, every night it was a party. And it was rambunctious. And it was very, very loud. And things would break. And fights would break out. It was, it was chaos. And here's this Jewish guy who's hosting all, all these Russians, you know, this Russian bar scene going on. He decides one day, it's not for him anymore. It's not for him. He's going to close the bed and breakfast. He's going to close the inn, close the tavern. And that's it. Find another way to earn a living. He'll go, I don't know, maybe he'll sell on eBay. Whatever. I mean, this is before, but right. He'll, he'll find something else to do, but, but, not, uh, he, but he's out of the business. What happened? What happened was he closes. A week later, he gets a knock on the door. Midnight. Someone's looking for a drink. He says, I'm sorry. I'm not there. I, I, I don't do this anymore. What do you mean? You're the bar. Nope. You got the wrong address. Next night, more people knocking on the door. So, and he has to send them away one by one. And what's the message? The message is very simply that we have to have a change of address. You know, like this guy. 
He says, you got the wrong address. What do you mean? It used to be the place, the party, the party place, the place to drink. Not anymore. That's what we need to do with the negative stuff that we have. Again, it's easier said than done. It takes a ton of work. It's not easy at all. And maybe we'll do certain things. We'll be able to get rid of other things we're still holding on. You know, we're still holding on to because it's so ingrained or so, you know, or whatever it is, uh, the reason why we're doing it. But Gershon, step one of divine service is Gershon. Get rid of, move out. Move, move out the negative stuff. Move the negative stuff out. That's step one. The next step is Kahat. What is Kahat? Oh, and by the way, this is symbolic of what this, the family of Gershon did. If you recall, let's go back to the first reading. What was Gershon all about? Gershon was about the curtains. It was about the coverings, which basically is that which protects from the outside. What is a curtain? A curtain says, this is my space. That's your space. Stay out of my space, right? A curtain says, you know, that's, this is the dividing wall. This is the dividing curtain. You, you stay by you and I'll stay by me. And so that's what Gershon is spiritually. Gershon is moving out the negative habits, saying, you belong out there. You don't belong with me anymore. That's Gershon. Um, and set, that's step one. Step two is Kahat. What is Kahat? Kahat is, the, or they were the family that transported the vessels. If you recall, they transported the vessels of the Mishkan, the ark, the table, the menorah candelabra, the altars. They carried the stuff, the furniture. So after you get rid of the negative, now you can bring in the nice shiny gold furniture. You can bring in the chair and the sofa. You can bring in the mirror. You can br- You're not going to bring that in while there's still renovation and demolition going on. You're going to wait till all the stuff is clean. All the stuff is cleaned out and cleaned up. And then you bring in. So first, Gershon, get everything out. Get everything that's a little bit ugly or not nice. Get that out. And now you bring in Kahat. Now you bring in the furniture. Now you bring in the ark. Oh, it's got the tablets in it. Now you bring the menorah. Oh, it's a candelabra. Now you bring in the showbread table. Beautiful. Now you bring in the altar. Now you bring in the nice stuff. So in life, this is the second step. Step one is getting rid of the negative. Step two is introducing the positive. As King David writes in Psalms, he says, Sur ra va'asetov. Turn away from evil and do good. Step one is moving away from the negative, moving the negative out, turning away from the negative, putting up the curtains, Gershon. Step two is va'asei tov, and do good. Step two is introducing positive behaviors into our life and into our routine. So step one is getting rid of the negative routine. Yeah, there's a negative routine. I find myself doing this or getting stuck in this or falling to prey and temptation to it. Okay, I'm human, but let me try to move that out. Step two is let me bring in the nice furniture. Let me bring in the good stuff. Let me bring in the good behaviors. Let me add some more Torah study. Let me add some more mitzvot. Let me add some more uh, chesed, some acts of kindness, some tikkun olam. Let me add some good things. So getting, get, moving out and drawing in. That's Gershon and Kahat. What's the last family? Well, the last family is Monday's reading, today's reading. And what was that family called? Merari. What Hebrew word? I want you to unmute yourself. What Hebrew word does Merari sound like? What Hebrew word does Merari sound like? Passover Hebrew word. Marar. Marar. Excellent. Excellent. Marar. Or as my kids like to say, 
What is a lion's favorite food to eat? Obviously, you know the answer, maror. Okay, but mar, mar, mirari is related to the word marar or mar, which means, what does it mean? Bitter. 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 So what's bitter? Hold on. We got rid of the negative. We're introducing, we got rid of the negative behaviors. So we're moving those out. We now are introducing positive behaviors. Fantastic. So what's, what's next? Now you're bitter? What's the Murari? What's, what's step three? What's going on here? You know, what bitter, you know what bitter really means? From the mystical perspective, it's not being bitter or angry. Bitter means dissatisfied, which means not being content, not being satisfied with where you already are, but having the drive to achieve even more. This is the key to greatness on every different level. The greatest athletes in the world are those that are driven to succeed and excel beyond the success or the excellence that they've already attained. You know, I haven't watched it, but everyone's talking about the new ESPN documentary on Michael Jordan. Have you heard about this one? They're doing this, uh, this documentary about Michael Jordan, the great basketball player. So... One thing that's clear, again, I haven't seen it, but I've read a little bit about it, and I know, you know, I know a little bit of Michael Jordan's story you know, before this documentary came out. One thing that's always been said about him is that he's a guy that was never satisfied. No matter how great he was, no matter how you know, skilled he was, he was not satisfied. He always had an edge to him. There was always the drive to do better, to beat the other guy, to, to keep, on, keep on pounding away. And again, that's with athletics. You have people in business that are the same way, that are not content with you know, their success, but are always driven, always dissatisfied, always looking to achieve more and to seek more. And whether this is good or whether it could be dangerous when it comes to athletics or when it comes to um, business is a conversation maybe for another time. You know, could a, could a, um, a sports coach be so driven that they push their... their um, their uh, athletes, you know, too far, sure. We find this in high school athletics and college athletics and professional athletics, coaches that push too far because they're too driven. Could it be that business people, some, some uh, business leaders could be so driven to success to the, uh, uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the point that it's detrimental to their own health or to the well-being of others that work for them around them? Of course, yeah, it's possible. But there's one area in which it's definitely a positive, and that is when it comes to our spiritual growth, and that's why it's step number three. Step one is getting rid of the negative. Step two is introducing the positive. And step three is you're still not content. You're still not satisfied. You haven't arrived. You know, I'm there, I've arrived, and I've, uh, I'm at the top, of the top of the mountain. You know, King David writes in Psalms, Mi Hashem. Who will ascend the mountain of the Lord and who will stand in his holy place? There's two elements. There's climbing the mountain and then there's standing there. It's easy to climb the mountain, but all too often we fall down the mountain as soon as we've climbed it. We've climbed it and then we begin backsliding. Who is it that can stay in that modality of climbing? That requires an extra effort. That requires a constant push because life is always like an escalator, a down escalator. If you're just standing still, you're moving backwards. Unless you're actively moving forward, 
faster than that inertia, that weight of materialism, the weight of the grind of every day, unless you're moving with more force against that, you're going to be wiped, washed away with the currents. That's just the nature of life and the nature of being a human being. So we have here clearly defined, I'm giving you Kabbalistic wisdom on the three families of the Levites. Gershon, move out the negative. Kahat, introduce the positive. And Merari, don't be satisfied with your current achievements or your past achievements, certainly. Always strive for more. Look for more areas to clean up. Look for more areas to introduce more goodness. Always be driven to more campaigns. One thing that the Rebbe taught us, by example, the Lubavitcher Rebbe taught us always to never be satisfied. That was one thing that you picked up immediately being around or listening to the talks or studying the teachings of the Rebbe was that he was never satisfied. There was always a campaign, always some sort of new extra push with Torah and mitzvot to do. It's like, all right, now we're going to wrap tefillin with, with folks on the streets. Now we're going to give out Shabbat candles uh, to women to light before Shabbat. Now we're going to a mezuzah campaign, kosher campaign, Shabbat campaign. It was always another campaign, always another push, never satisfied with the status quo. Yeah, things are more or less okay, you know. That's fine. We're good. Yeah, somebody, how you doing? Okay. Thank God. It's all good. Anything exciting? No, just kind of, just kind of, you know, living life, doing my thing. It's good. But there's a third level, Mirari, dissatisfaction. Don't be satisfied, not, not in a negative way, in a positive way. Don't be satisfied with, with, with what you already have. Always strive for more. Look, that's what leads to true excellence and continued excellence in every area. And, uh, and our spiritual pursuits are not an exception. One other thing, I just want to mention one more thing. Um, uh, if you recall, do you remember how many Levites we had that were aged one month and up? Do you remember the number? Was it 22,000? It was 22,000. How many of those Levites were fit for service for schlepping? I mean that in a positive way. Carrying the, uh, the tabernacle through the desert? 8,580. Of the 22,000, there were 8,580 between the ages of 30 and 50 that were fit for, for the service. So, you know, I, I used to, sh when, when I was younger, the thought that I'm about to share, which is the final thought for today, I think had a little bit more significance for me. Now it sound, may sound a little weird, but, but I'm going to do it anyway. So the question is asked by some commentaries, why did the Levites wait till they were, why, why did they have to wait till they were 30? You know, you could be strong at, at, at 20, you know, 18 already, you know, military age, 20 military age. What, what's with 30? So the understanding is it wasn't just schlepping, it was a spiritual caring. It was a spiritual uh, uh, process, and that took, took time to prepare. So one thing I, I, I always like to share is, you know, everyone, as Maimonides says, everyone can be a Levite. If you dedicate yourself to something higher, something greater, even not full-time, even part-time, you can be a, a Levite, you know, for a little bit. So the message is, even if you haven't started until the age of 30, you can also start. It used to sound better when I was younger because I wasn't, before I was 30, it was like, even when you're 30? Yeah, even when you're 30. But now that I'm, you know, a, de a decade over 30, yeah, 
revealing my age, right? As you guys, as you all know, uh, now that I'm over 40, uh, sorry, now that I'm over 30, right? So the notion of you can even start when you're 30, I don't know, it doesn't have the same punch to it. But the point is that even if decades have passed and we haven't yet committed ourselves to a spiritual path, it's okay. It's never too late. Even if we're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90, it doesn't matter. We can always, no matter when, no matter when, no matter who, no matter what, we can always jump in. One other message that's timely, of course, is the story of Rabbi Akiva, which I will conclude with. Famous story of Rabbi Akiva who married a young woman whose name was Rachel, Rachel. And she incurred, he was a shepherd. Akiva the shepherd. He wasn't Rabbi Akiva, he was Akiva. He was 40 years old. And he had never studied Torah. He had never studied the Hebrew language. He didn't know how to read. He didn't know alphabet. Nothing. He was 40. And his wife said, I believe in you and I want you to become a scholar. A scholar? Not possible. So one day he's walking along the road and he sees a rock with a hole in it. And he says, what kind, of, what kind of business is a rock with a hole in it? How is that possible? What is a holy rock? What is this? So he, he notices that there was a drip, maybe from an air conditioner. I'm kidding. A drip from a river, from a spring, from something. There was a water that was dripping on the rock. And he realized that day after day, minute after minute, second after second, after so long, the water wore away at the rock and created a hole, bore a hole straight through the rock. That's how He says, look, if water, which is soft, can penetrate even the hard rock, Torah, which is, which is compared to water, can also penetrate my head, which has never studied this type of wisdom before. And immediately he decided to take his wife's recommendation and go to yeshiva. And he went to school and he started off with the little kids. He was 40. He started off with the little kids class learning alphabet with like the five, six-year-olds. He wasn't embarrassed. It's a lesson also not to be, uh, not to be so pr prideful that we're, not, that we're afraid to learn you know, from the beginning. He went to the beginning. He went through all the classes. He kept on learning and learning. He wouldn't stop. Eventually, he came home and his wife said, keep on learning. He went back to learn more in yeshiva. And eventually, he became possibly what, the greatest teacher of all time, aside from Moses, possibly the greatest teacher of all time. He had an academy of tens of thousands of students, and he is credited with saving Torah Shabbat, the oral tradition, by studying it, preserving it, and teaching it to others and much of the Torah that we have today is due to Rabbi Akiva. So again, it's another message of, another lesson of it's never too late. It doesn't matter if it's 30 or 40 in the case of Rabbi Akiva, or 50 or 60, or it doesn't matter what age. At any age, it's the perfect opportunity to jump in and study Torah. So let me give you a recap of what we spoke about today at length. So we, we delved into the three families. We spoke of them a little bit out of order, but in their spiritual order, which is first Gershon, getting rid of the negative, Kahat, introducing the positive, and Merari, never being satisfied with past accomplishments and always striving for more. We spoke about the work of the Levites being from age 30 to 50, and even if you haven't started uh, cultivating the wilderness, the desert, by 30, you can still start now. It's never too late. And even 40, you can start learning Torah like Rabbi Akiva did. And so the message is, there is never a situation that is beyond uh, hope or whatever. It's never too late. 
there is always a way to grow and to study and to do and to make a difference in this world. All right, that is it for Daily Power Parsha for today, Monday, May 25th. Hope you enjoyed it. Any questions, comments? Um, I want to also mention, actually, before I, 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 I well, I'll, I'll unmute everybody right now, um, but I will just say that tonight, a reminder, tonight is, tonight is um, Rosh Chodesh Society, 7.30 p.m. So join my wife, Leah, for, a, for an amazing class on leadership, Jewish lessons of leadership, how to be a true leader, to inspire others, and to create other leaders. That is going to be the topic of tonight's discussion, 7.30 p.m., special holiday edition of Rosh Chodesh Society in the last session of, the, uh, of this year, until the new Jewish year. All right, so that's it. Uh, folks, jump in and say hi. You don't have to, but you could. Matt, everything's good? Yeah, about to go take my dog out for a walk. It's been, it's been going good. Nice. Okay, good. Listen, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in person. It's, uh, hopefully we'll be able to figure out a way how to do that. It's going to be a lot of fun to get back, you know, safe and, you know, who knows how that's going to look, but it'll be nice. We're, we're exploring maybe a Torah reading over the holidays, so... Stay tuned. Stay tuned for more information. We'll, uh, we'll release that as that becomes available. That's, that's the hope. All right. Good, good. Ray, it's great seeing you. Sandrine. Oh, I got to give you that, uh, uh, the, the, the French song, that Jewish song. Remind me tomorrow. I'm going to play it as our anthem. Oh, okay. Tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow we're going to play the, uh, not the French anthem. That's something else. Bam, ba, dam, bam, 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 ba, dam. Is that the French National Anthem? Sandrine, is that the French National Anthem? Yes. You know Chabanek's love France. Oh, can't get enough. Can't get enough of the French. The Rebbe spent a lot of time in France. In fact, soon, in, in the next few weeks, this is a, a brand new thing that I haven't revealed yet. First time I'm talking about it publicly. We're going to show a film of the Rebbe's life and times in France. Oh, really? Yeah, before the war, or right at the beginning of World War II. And talk about his notebooks, his secret notebooks that he wrote, Torah Insights, that were discovered after he passed yeah. away. And uh, those, a lot of those Torah teachings have since been published from his, own, from his own notebook. But we'll talk about the Rebbe's life in, uh, in France. Beautiful documentary. It's called Alone with God. Yeah, I was reading. I was reading so the day of the synagogue where he used to go in Paris, one, one of the synagogues. Nice, nice. He's the son of uh, Rabbi Lipsker. Is he still there? No, he's, well, he's back he's home. Old? He's in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. st- I, just spo- I just spoke to him actually recently. He's, um, yeah. They're learning on Zoom. They have a few classes a day. And otherwise, they have, I mean, in yeshiva, on that level of yeshiva, that's already a higher level yeshiva for older students, most of the study is with a study partner. You don't have, it's not a lot of lectures. It's only like one or two a day. Most of the time is spent just learning one-on-one with somebody else. 
So that is, um, that is a, uh, what's it called again? That's, uh, so they're still doing that. They're still finding their own way to social, you know, to learn with others on Zoom and then to have the classes. Yeah. He must be bilingual French by now. I don't know. It could be, yeah. Yeah. Rabbi Lipsker studied there. Rabbi Schusterman studied there in oh, France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. France is a very good yeshiva. My my uh, my nephew, my sister's son, is studying in uh, in, uh, in 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 yeah. France. But I mean, they're all home. I mean, he's in New York now. They're all home, so they're all they're all remote. Um, I asked him, you know, when is I asked Mendel Lipsker. Uh, I asked him when he thinks they're they're going to reopen, and he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure if they're going to do 